Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Electric Leftovers. My name is Jason. This is episode 374. How are you? We've got uh, some new Final Fantasy VII happening over on the YouTube this week. We've got a brand new stream of Medieval. We've got some more soundtracks over at the Soundtrack Channel. And, of course, the ye olde uh, Electric Leftovers YouTube channel happening as well. Um, anything else? Well, it's March, I guess. I was a little late with the state of the channel video, but it's up over there now. And, um, do I got anything else to tell you about? It's been kind of slow over on, uh, yieldy internet because, uh, life is happening and it makes me mad. It makes me mad. Well, it, it, it's frustrating, I guess. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. Let's just uh, move on ahead with our with our lives today. I'm excited for it because we're going to talk about Death's Door. Some great music for a great game. And then we're going to read some reviews for Dear Esther. Also a great game. Greatness abounds.
Reaping souls of the dead and punching a clock might get monotonous, but it's honest work for a crow. The job gets lively when your assigned soul is stolen and you must track down a desperate thief to a realm untouched by death, where creatures grow far past their expiry and overflow with greed and power. Talon Sharp Combat. Utilize melee weapons, arrows, and magic to overcome a fantastic array of beasts and demigods. Mistakes are punished and victory is rewarded. Gain an edge by customizing your character stats and mastering the abilities and upgrades you obtain. A beautifully bleak world. Venture beyond the doors and explore a land full of twisted inhabitants and countless secrets, bringing hope to the weird and wonderful creatures you'll meet along the way. In a dark mystery to unravel, track down and defeat colossal tyrants with stories and motivations of their own. Experience a somber yet darkly comedic tale, uncovering the truths behind the flow of souls, the role of the crows, and the origin of the doors. This is Death's Door, a PC action adventure hack and slashy kind of game developed by Acid Nerve and published by Devolver Digital, released in 2021. We streamed this uh, some time ago, and it's, uh, it's very good. It's very, very good. We've streamed some not-so-great games. We've streamed some pretty great games. This one's pretty great. Um, music is really good. Graphics are really good. Combat's good. I'm not great at it, but we, you know, we managed. We managed. Betty, Betty was uh, trouble, but I had a lot of fun playing this game. It's a, I think like a Diablo-esque looking isometric-y kind of thing, but you've got Dark Souls-esque combat. I hate to say that, but that's, that's the nearest thing I can think of to describe it. Uh, very, very good game. Would, uh, would recommend check it out uh, either the 14 episodes I have it of the game or uh, get a copy for yourself
I like that Death's Door music. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Alright. Uh, why are there so few reviews for Dear Esther? We're going to have to do these three. Because they're the only quick ones. Um, Czom gave it a detailed and an 8. S Spectre gave it a full and a 6. MTLH a full and an 8. Zodiac gave it a 5. Streamer14YDR gave it a 10. But let's see what uh, Exhumanator says about the game in 2017. The Emperor isn't naked, he begins. Dear Esther was, was originally a Half-Life 2 mod released in 2008 and later redeveloped as a commercial release in 2012. Five years later, Dear Esther was retooled again, this time as the Dear Esther Landmark Edition. Differences include having been ported to the Unity engine with a full audio remaster and the addition of brand new director's commentary mode. Some cite Dear Esther as the beginning of the walking simulator genre. A label this reviewer thinks makes as much sense as reducing Super Mario Bros. to a jumping simulator. There's just no getting around it. Dear Esther is not a game for everyone. Does the idea of walking slowly around a deserted island while listening to a man read excerpts of letters to his dead wife sound like a fun time? Probably not. But fun is not the point of Dear Esther. Exploring, discovering, and thinking is. Though unraveling this mystery which surprises you for every assumption you dare make is very, very entertaining in its own right. Thankfully, the island which you wander is quite beautifully rendered in convincing detail, and the cavern area contains some of the most stupendous graphical design I've ever seen in a video game. Your eyes will be well fed while your mind ponders and your soul begins to stir. Or maybe you'll just be bored silly. It's very possible. This game, however, was totally enraptured by the experience. From the achingly beautiful immersive atmosphere to the tiny subtle secrets hidden all over the island, I found Dear Esther B to be a wonderfully subversive video game, but also understand fully while so many, why so many excuse me, have challenged its authenticity as such. Now I won't claim Dear Esper is perfect, I ran into a nasty clipping bug in the caverns and not being able to save your game at any time is annoying, also taking control away from the player for the ending, that could have been handled a little more interactively. But those are just tiny gripes in the grand scheme of what Dear Esther accomplishes. This game is art. Yep. I went there. Art as I define it anyway. I believe proper art asks questions but doesn't tell the answers, and Dear Esther met that criteria with gusto. Is Dear Esther just a pompous exhibition masquerading as a video game? Is this a milestone of the medium pushing the envelope to what a, of what a video game can be? Excuse me. Only future gaming historians know for certain. But this player was absolutely astounded by the experience and moved deeply by a phenomenally brave ending. It's not often a video game can make me cry, let alone hug my wife a little tighter. Exhumanator gave it an 8. That was a very good review. A little spotty at times, but not bad. Let's see what Dantos said in 2014. Not your typical shooter, says Dantos. I'd imagine so, since there are no guns. In a world of Call of Duty clones, Dear Esther manages to separate itself from the herd through interesting map designs, solid sound assets, and bold changes to the traditional format of the first-person shooter. Most notable of these changes will be noticed right away by veteran shooters. Uh, veterans of shooters, excuse me. The lack of guns. After checking and double-checking my key bindings, listening carefully for the comforting sound of small firearm 
uh, small arms fire, sorry, after each click and even taking the time to read the Steam community page. Man, I'm having a hard time. I found this may be the first FPS with no weapons to speak of. He said maybe is one word instead of maybe is two words. Should have been two. Gunless gameplay aside, this game does boast a number of large, although rather linear, maps ranging from caves to rocky beaches. To say power-ups and ammo crates are few and far between would be a drastic understatement, seeing as they are practically non-existent. The perk system found in other COD-like games is nowhere to be found, and character customization is absent altogether. Are you starting to get the feeling that Dantus really gets into one kind of game? Uh, looking for a selection of game modes? They keep looking since Dear Esther has only the one. I think he meant then. A strange hunter-seeker system that had me chasing an NPC but never got me close enough to perform a backstab. In fact, the levels are far too underpopulated for their size. Desolate, even. At one point, I was hiding in an abandoned building waiting for an enemy to wander in. After 20 minutes, I gave up camping and found myself quickly dead when I walked off a dock into an environmental hazard. Cheap kill, game. Sheep kill. But what about matchmaking, you may ask? Well, I hope you can live without clans, parties, and leaderboards because this has to be the most stripped-down online play I've seen in years. In fact, I was not able to join a lobby once or even connect to a server. Not even an option on the main menu to play online. I know this game has been out for a few years, but shutting down online matchmaking, the lifeblood of any FPS worth its salt, is frankly unacceptable. Can I honestly call this game anything close to a COD killer? No, I can't. But it has some great ideas behind it, and I can see the developers desire to do more than cash in on the modern military shooter. But for all its potential, that's all it is. Potential. Pick it up on sale. Play a few matches, but don't go selling your copy Go Ghost just yet. I think, again, that was a typo there. Uh, Dantus gave it a 5. This review is horrible because it's, it's not a real review. It is not a real review. Did he talk about the game at all? No. Not once. All he did in this review was, uh... Um... Well, I mean, you know... Jokingly, I guess, saying, you know, this is this is a terrible Call of Duty clone because it doesn't have any of the stuff Call of Duty has. Which is fine if you're making a joke, but this review is... Uh, would I recommend? No. Um, I get that it's supposed to be a joke. It's just not funny. You know what I mean? It's not funny. I don't know how you felt about this game. I just read five paragraphs. I don't know how you feel about this game. You gave it a five. But did you actually review Dear Esther? I don't think you did. Misty2k, and that's Misty as in Mystery Science Theater, even, uh, in 2012 says, Support the Comet. What follows is basically my whole history with this title. I became aware of this strange little indie entity called Dear Esther with about 48 hours of its commercial release, or re-release as the case may be. I gather that it had its humble origins as a nondescript source mod. It follows, logically, that its equally humble current corporeal state should retain Half-Life sound effects in the front end. My curiosity immediately piqued. I downloaded it on Steam for the paltry sum of $9.99. I hate this review already. 
Within an hour of returning from a day of arduous workaday strife, I had finished the game, and less than 24 hours after that, I was writing a review on the internet about it for reasons I may never fully understand. Well, don't let that force you to continue. Yes, reading this review will take approximately 2% as long as it will to play the game in its entirety. What I mean, enterprising reader, is that this game is on the short side, but this shortness isn't of the invidious kind. It's a Portal-esque, uh, quote, it's this length because it would have to be classification of short. Believe you me, and I mean this in as positive a sense as I can reasonably convey, Dear Esther would not work were it to be dragged on for six to ten hours. My playtime clocked in at just over an hour, cons uh, constituting the entirety of my time with the game, as seems to be the status quo according to its adminicular reviews. It was a brief experience, but one that registered far and away from the regret end of the spectrum of reactions. <clears throat> Pardon me. The playtime itself, hard indeed to describe in terms of mechanics and interface and whatnot. It's all minimist to a mist-like degree. Basically, you pilot your guy through the HD wonderment of a storm-buffeted island, finding hotspots to trigger bits of recorded narrative, investigating the visual clues that infest the admittedly well-rendered environment, and get fed cognate bits of winsome little ghost story in less time than it takes to watch the average feature film made since 1950. Although it's more of an experiment in wandering around simulation than what traditionally passes excuse me, for a full-featured adventure game a la Endless Ocean, it differs slightly in that instead of rubbing animals to learn about them somehow, Dear Esther is 100% a game about finding a good spot to kill yourself. It receives my most heartfelt recommendation. Misty2k gave it a 9. Your review is also terrible. It's excessively wordy. Someone got a thesaurus for Christmas. Um, t what's the graphics like? Tell us about the plot. How is the sound design? You have the same problem that uh, Dantas had. You'd, you'd rather hear yourself talk than talk about the game that you're supposed to be reviewing. GameSpot gave it an 8 out of 10. Metacritic a 75. User scores a Metacritic 6 out of 5. Um... Looking at the other reviews, story will draw you in, the rest keeps you there, said Streamer, who gave it a 10. A tech demo for Games' Art, said Zodiac, who gave it a 5. A fulfilling experience, MTLH, gave it an 8. Dear Esther aims for interesting rather than entertaining, and it succeeds eventually, says S. Spectre, who gave it that 6. And Story First Gaming gets a haunting and beautiful glimpse at the ceilings it can reach, says C. Zom, who gave it an 8. Let me give my review about this game, since, you know, of the three we read, only one person actually took the time to review the game. I did not know that it started as a Half-Life mod, um, so that's new information for me. That that would take away a point, because I don't care for Half-Life all that much. <clears throat> but, you know, I'm not going to ding it too hard for that. Um... I got the game, I think probably much like Misty did when it first came out. I think I just saw it and bought it. I had like just got Steam or something and was looking for a game that was 10 bucks or less. And I, I found it and I bought it and I played it and I think I recorded it even. And that original playthrough is gone, long gone. But I remember being totally enthralled with the game 
both the look and the atmosphere and and the narrative and the way it was introduced giving us pieces here and pieces there and you know we don't know where we're going but there's only one way to go so we go there it's it's not i didn't know what i was expecting when i went to it but it wasn't what i got and i'm not mad about that dear esther to me I mean, I don't... That whole video games is art thing I think is stupid. I don't think it's stupid to say video games are art. I think it's stupid to get upset when someone says video games are art. Because they absolutely can be. It's it's a creation. It's it's there to, to express a, an idea or a thought or an emotion. Just like a painting or a song or a book or a whatever. Video games do that too. And this one is telling a story. It's just putting you in control of the story. You can't, you know, there's, you don't have to worry about dying because there's no enemies. You don't have to worry about inventory management because there isn't any. You don't have to worry about getting lost because you can't. It's, it's like reading a novel. You, you know, you're not going to have to fight your way out of chapter seven while you are reading the novel. You just experience the novel. I think graphically, the original was very good. Um, the newer version is better. It just runs better. Unity gets crapped on a lot because it's so like um, Unity is like the garage band of game development. I guess is how I would say that. Um, just because it is so prevalent and so many horrible things were made on Unity, but it doesn't mean Unity's bad. It just means it's so accessible that people who are just dipping their toes in the water have access to it, which is a good thing. Uh, but. Sometimes what they produce is not exactly great. You know, glitchy, weird music sounds, poor design, you know. High school got kid in his basement making a game. You know, will it be great? Probably not. Will it work? Mostly. That's that's kind of the, the bad side of Unity. And then you have stuff like this, which is fully fledged, works great, looks great. It's amazing. So I, I think the game plays really fine. Really, really fine. There's not much to play. You walk around, you look at things. Sometimes you can interact with stuff. Not always. Uh, graphically, it's very, very pretty. Very pretty, like we were talking about earlier. And um, Exhumanator mentioned that cave thing. And that was one of the most amazing moments of video games to me. It was like... When I first saw Final Fantasy The Spirits Within, I'm like, holy crap, we can do this with computers? This is incredible. That movie still looks damn good today, and that came out 20 years ago. So, is it a good movie? Not really. Does it look good? Yes. This game looks amazing. That cave thing, absolutely incredible. It's breathtaking, I would say. I would love to get, like, a huge TV and play it on that, like, in a dark room. I think that would be incredible. Maybe someday. Maybe not. Sound design is also fantastic. Um, the music, you heard some of it last week. Really, really damn good. I think it captures the emotion of the scenes very, very well. Sound design is excellent. Gets you a good pair of headphones. Just hear the world around you as you experience it. It does the job it needs to do. The story is great. 
Um, you don't really pick up on what's going on until right near the end, which I think is, is wonderful. And that the game presents you pieces of the story out of order, I think is fun because it does, it does give you a minute while, while we're at the end and I don't want to spoil it. Somebody else already did an review, but if you haven't watched it, go watch it and we'll get to a part at the end where you kind of, it clicks what's been going on and what's happening. And then your brain just replays all the things you've heard, you know, almost subconsciously. And it, it just works so, so, so well. Um, game is short. It's about an hour for a playthrough. Um, and I think they're right. I don't think you can make this longer. Making it longer would not make it better. I mean, you could add maybe another three or four story things and make the game 20, 30 minutes longer. I think at that point you're getting to where you need to have a save system put in place. Because this game is so short, there isn't one. Because there's no risk of death, you know, you're not going to have to start over. So if you want to play it, go get it. Set aside an hour, hour and a half, just play the game. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I'm going to give this a... I'm going to give Dear Esther a 10. I can't think of anything I would change about this game. I think it's it's perfect. So. Last week we were reading some unfortunate news, and uh, it was pretty unfortunate. And I said, you know what? Maybe we'll find. Maybe we'll go to Oddity Central and see what Oddity Central's got. So I have Oddity Central pulled up here, and it's not quite news of the weird esque. It's not little snippets, but um, we have we have stories. So we're just gonna scroll through the front page here and see. Maybe there's a couple we can find. Um, 
the world's largest artificial salt mountain. Hope it doesn't rain. Woman accuses son's teacher of seducing her husband with giant banner outside her school. Oh, okay. So that's a poorly written headline. Because the way that reads is the son's teacher was seducing the husband with a giant banner outside of the school. But the, that's how the woman accused the teacher. A uh, man files police complaint after his own after his own father for allegedly eloping with his wife. Would that be after or against? I feel like it should be against. This is not a great start. Bodhi, the African tribe where men compete in a fattening contest. In order to earn this honor, fat man of the year, men must go on a fattening diet of cow's milk or yogurt, raw blood, and honey for several months before the festival. I've been doing it wrong. Suction cup tug of war, a bald man sport. You're bald, you put a suction cup on your head, your opponent's head, and you tug. Uh, married woman elopes with another man. Husband retaliates by marrying her lover's wife. That's a movie, I'm pretty sure. North Carolina's bees produce purple honey. <clears throat> Vulture bees. We might read that one. Open a new tab. No. How the world's deadliest mushroom, deadliest mushroom, excuse me, used a clone army to conquer California. That sounds like Jasper's to me. We better read that. This species of fish has neon blue flesh, and no one knows why. Fish are neat. Um, man who robbed gas station spends uh, gas station for twenty-three dollars, spends fourteen years hiding in a mountain cave. Mansu's college student daughter for refusing to take care of him after car accident. Read this one. Scientists finally solved mystery of Japan's tiny mummified mermaid. Oh, and this one we gotta do. I've seen this story. It's bizarre. A robotic arm will refuel your car. Woman worried about COVID locks herself and son inside home for three years. Alright, we're gonna go with these. We'll see how this goes. They're not terribly long. Starting with our first story, the uh, purple honey. The Sandhills of North Carolina said to be the only place in the world where bees produce purple honey, an iridescent concoction that looks more like alien goo than the sweet nectar we know and love. Uh, from the expensive yet bitter Corbizello honey to the meat honey produced by vulture bees, we featured some unusual types of honey here on Oddity Central over the years. However, none of them are as visually striking as the purple honey produced in North Carolina. It sounds like the stuff of legend. Something to lure honey and beekeeping aficionados from around the world. But this extremely rare liquid is quite real. Purple honey is said to be sweeter than the amber kind and apparently has some subtle fruit notes as well. That's probably where the color comes from. Uh, some photos of purple honey jars recently went viral on Reddit and sparked a heated discussion on whether this unusual looking treat was real or not. But it turns out, th uh, 
but it turns out that to the people of North Carolina, it's less of a curiosity and more of a hard-to-come-by treat. It's harder to get your hands on pink honey, even in North Carolina, but its existence is irrefutable. Uh, the color of honey, from light yellow to deep amber, depends on the type of flower that the nectar comes from, but in the case of purple honey, the cause is yet to be determined. Some swear that it comes from fruits like blueberries or huckleberries, although scientists and beekeepers will tell you that bees don't have strong enough teeth to bite through the skin of such berries. Others say that the flowers of the kudzu plant produce an unusual color, while a few are convinced that it's the southern leatherwood. In reality, no one really knows for sure. That kudzu was more of a Kansas, Oklahoma kind of thing. Anyway, according to Professor John Ambrose from North Carolina State University, purple honey might be the result of a chemical reaction between the acid in the bee's stomachs and aluminum, or aluminium, for our UK listeners. Apparently, the flowers in coastal North Carolina contain more aluminum than anywhere else, which would explain why this rare honey is only produced in North Carolina. Uh, many of those lucky enough to have tried purple honey claim that it actually tastes purple with a subtle taste of grapes or berries. See, this I've said this for a long time. Grape soda does not taste like grape, but it does taste like purple. We've just confirmed that. Uh, it's sweet. It's produced by the bees, but it has a fruity undertone to it. Beekeeper Donald Dees says kind of goes with the unusual character of the honeybee in purple. It's a fruity flavor that really no one can identify. Donald D's Bees. D's Bees! Ha! It's funny. Purple honey is a rare treat that usually commands a higher price than the amber kind, but with all the attention that's been getting online lately, demand has increased even more, with North Carolina beekeepers reporting orders coming in from all over the world. I've got it on hold, Dees said. I've got a few orders left to fill. I couldn't keep up with the orders there for about three or four days. I mean, I had to shut the website off so I could get caught up with the orders to make sure I didn't sell more than I had. I'd try it. I'm not going to order it, but I would try it. Honey-producing ants. Interesting. So, all right, moving on. <clears throat> How the world's deadliest mushroom used a clone army to conquer California. How's, how's our time here? Okay, I think we might get one more story. Amanita phalloides, phalloides? Sure. Commonly known as the death cap mushroom has always fascinated scientists, both because of its deadly amatoxins and the way it manages to conquer new lands in record time. The death cap originated in Europe where it grows by burrowing into the roots of European oak trees and forming a symbiotic relationship with them. But it has somehow managed to colonize every single continent except Antarctica. It's because there's no European oak trees there. Those are Antarctic oak trees. This impressive feat has been puzzling scientists for years because of how fast the process seemed to be. Most likely introduced in California sometime in the 19th century, by hitching a ride with soil-potted seedlings from Europe, the poisonous mushroom quickly spread across the U.S. state, from the Bay Area further up the coast, eventually becoming more abundant than in its native Europe. After decades of research, scientists now know how the rapid conquest happened. Uh, according to a new study published on January 31st to uh, the preprint server Biorxiv, B-I-O-R capital X-I-V, death cap samples collected from all over California are perfect copies of each other. 
clones produced asexually without needing to mate to spread their spores in new unconquered regions. This reproductive capability surprised researchers as DNA samples from European death, clap, death cap, excuse me, clearly showed that it reproduces sexually. Mushrooms getting it on. Same goes for mushrooms collected from New Jersey and New York. Well, what can you expect? It's Jersey. DNA sequencing showed the death cap mushrooms in California contained the exact same genetic material and the capability to reproduce asexually for around 30 years. In cell mushrooms. Scientists theorize that Amanita is capable I'm not even gonna try is capable of switching on asexual reproduction to help it rapidly spread across new regions and then switch back to sexually sexual reproduction once the colonization is complete. Totally get it. I totally get it, mushroom. More research is needed to learn how and when asexual reproduction is switched on and whether this is a capability specific to the death cap or a strategy of other invasive mushrooms as well. The death cap holds the Guinness record for the world's most toxic mushroom. Hooray! And is responsible for the most fatal mushroom poisonings worldwide. Hooray! Featuring tinted green caps, white stems, and white gills, this fragile-looking mushroom resembles several edible species commonly consumed by humans and is said to have a rather pleasant taste as well, which only makes it more dangerous. Six to 72 hours after consumption, symptoms start to set in. The amatoxins in the death cap mushroom enter through the liver, through the intestinal tract, and then bind to protein-producing enzymes, preventing them from doing their job. With no protein production, the liver begins to die, causing nausea and diarrhea, which is often followed by other organ failures, coma, and death. The amatoxins produced by the mushroom are thermostable, which means they resist changes due to heat, so the effects of the toxins are not at all reduced through cooking. And it's estimated that half of the death cap mushroom is enough to kill an adult human. There is currently no known cure for death cap poisoning. Fluids can help alleviate the symptoms, and a few specific treatments have been shown to improve the survivability, but poisoning is oftentimes fatal. There is no known antidote! This makes me think of, um... It's a Frank Herbert book called The Santa Taroga Barrier, and it's about... Well, he wrote it as, like, a counterculture study. And it's this little town in the mountains in California. You know, it's a little creepy, but... Not, like, dangerous creepy, but people have died by trying to, you know... I don't want to spoil it. It's pretty good. Give it a read. Um, this next one is a little short, and the one following is a little short, so we can do two more stories. One of them is weird, like, legit kind of strange. The other one is bizarre, and one I've heard about. We're going to start with this one, though. Scientists finally solved the mystery of Japan's tiny mummified mermaid means I'm going to have to say a lot of Japanese words. For decades, the mummified remains of a creature resembling a small mermaid have been worshipped at a temple in Asakuchi, Japan, but scientists have long suspected that the mermaid mummy was actually man-made. Allegedly caught in the Pacific Ocean off the island of Shikoku between 1736 and 1741, uh, the famous mermaid mummy has been kept on display at the Injun Temple in Akatsu, excuse me, Asakuchi, for over 40 years. I know I'm horrible at that. Attracting visitors convinced that the remains would bring them good luck. And if you see a picture of it, why wouldn't you think so? Uh, it is said that these tiny supernatural creatures were immortal. A 
Well, this one wasn't. And uh, whoever consumed their flesh would also enjoy eternal life. That made into the um, lore of the Ogre Battle games. Somehow, no one actually tried, but a team of scientists did request a more thorough examination in order to confirm the many legends around the artifact. Last year, researchers at the Kurakashi University of Science and the Arts managed to obtain the mysterious mummified mermaid from the Injimin Temple and began analyzing it using a variety of modern techniques, including X-ray and CT scans, radiocarbon dating, electron microscopy, excuse me, and DNA analysis. <clears throat> The first thing noticed about the 12-inch specimen, specimen, which appeared to have the head and torso of a small primate and the bottom half of a fish, was that it lacked a skeleton. The only skeletal remains were in the lower body of the mummy and appeared to belong to a fish. Well, that, that checks out. The rest seemed to be a strange combination of various animal remains, cloth, paper, and cotton. Maybe it's cartilage. Never think of that. Like a shark. Some scientists have previously hypothesized that these worshipped mermaid mummies had been created by sewing the head and torso of a small monkey onto the lower body of a caught risk. I think that was supposed to be fish. Last year's tests proved that the worshipped remains had been put together by man, although the exact recipe was a little hard to guess. It could be a... it's got kind of monkey fingers. After filling the torso of the mermaid with cloth and paper, whoever created this mummy also painted it with a paste made from a mix of sand and charcoal. Its jaw and teeth were also most likely taken from a kind of predator fish, and its nails were made from keratin. Radiocarbon dating suggests that the specimen dates back to the early 1800s. Although the true purpose of the mummified remains is a... We don't have great editing here. Although the true purpose of the mummified remains a mystery. Is it supposed to be mummy remains a mystery? Or mummified remains remains a mystery? Scientists believe it was meant to trick people into believing that ningyos, Japanese mythical creatures, and their immortality were real. Except it's dead. The team of Japanese scientists published its finding earlier this year. Researchers now hope to get their hands on a few other of the 14 mummified mermaids found across Japan for comparison purposes. Yeah, that's totally a thing. Um, March of the Black Queen, when you get to uh, Castellation Sea, you run into a town and somebody's like, Mermaids, you know what happens when you eat mermaid flesh? You live forever. And our final story. Plenty of time. This creepy phone accessory allows lovers to kiss over long distances. Remote Kiss, a bizarre phone accessory that recently hit the Chinese market, allegedly allows users to experience the intimacy of kissing, even when they are thousands of miles apart. Advertised as a way to allow long-distance couples to experience physical intimacy, Remote Kiss relies on pressure sensors, actuators, and soft silicone to recreate the user's kisses anywhere in the world. As long as the recipient, recipient, excuse me, also has a remote kiss and an internet connection, according to some sources, the weird gadget can even detect and replicate the temperature of a user's lips, as well as the sounds of someone's kiss. Remote kiss has been available on Chinese mar online marketplace Taobao for some time now, but it only recently went viral after people started sharing photos of the product on social media. Remote Kiss functions like a weirdly shaped smartphone dock and only works when connected to a phone's charging port. It comes with a companion app that enables the connection between two different devices while also asking for consent from both users. 
What kind of data do you think this thing is swiping? Uh, according to the Global Times, the true inventor of this unusual device is Zheng Zhongli, a graduate of the Shangzhou Vocational Institute of, oh boy, Mechatronic Technology. Mechatron, he was a transformer. He created it a few years ago uh, as a university project and applied for patent in 2019. But that patent expired this year. Wow, short patents in China. Uh, and commercial versions quickly appeared online. Zhang Li was surprised to see his idea become so popular and said he hoped people would improve on his design. Quote, in my university, I was in a long distance relationship with my girlfriend, so we only contacted each other by phone. That's where the inspiration of this device originated, he said. The concept of physical interface enabling KISS communication has been around for a while. In fact, we wrote about two such accessories in the past, both called Kissinger. Oh, God. However, Remote KISS has a couple of advanced features that set it apart while also making it more controversial. Uh, the kissing square function of the app allows users to exchange kisses with strangers, and people have the option of uploading their kisses for others to experience. And there's a little Twitter video. Remote Kiss is currently available on Taobao at the price of 288 yuan, which is about 41 bucks. And before you ask, no, it does not come with a silicone tongue, although we don't doubt that someone will find a way to fill that need as well. It's a... Uh, it's a horrible-looking thing. It's it's terrifying a little bit. If you've ever seen... There's a, a Mexican film called Santa Claus, in which Santa Claus is fighting against the devil uh, for the souls of children, kind of, and also to get a little girl a doll. And there's, like, Home Alone antics at some point. It's a strange movie. But Santa Claus has a talking computer, <laughs> and it has moving lips. And this reminds me of that. It's very bizarre. It's a very bizarre movie. This is a very bizarre product. This was some bizarre news. How about that?
Ladies and gentlemen, I have no idea how long this episode's going to be, but I do kind of like the Oddity Central news. Um, although navigating their site's a bit of a pain in the butt. There we go. Um, let me know what you think. If you prefer the news of the weird over the Oddity Central stuff. If you'd like more short stories as opposed to fewer longer stories, we'll move forward with that. Um, yeah, we'll kind of just see how it goes. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed the Death's Door music and the Dear Esther review. I hope you enjoyed the new news. And uh, we'll be back next week. Same time over these same stations, pretty much. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, please consider giving us a review and a like and a subscribe and a follow and a WhatsApp and a Reddit and a Twitter and a MySpace and a whatever comp you serve. AOL online. I don't know. Whatever you do, do it. It'd be great. Thank you. And if you'd like to support the show, you can visit buymeacoffee.com slash electric left and buy me a coffee. Your old pal Jason might be having to move. And an extra couple cups of coffee would, would greatly help with that. Um, anyway, it's metaphorical coffee, really. It's, it's throwing a coin into a wishing well. And then I come by late at night and take all the change out. It's kind of how that works. Anyway, thank you, everybody. We'll be back next week. 